again. That's cool. Okay, I'm going to pray, uh, and then we'll jump into the lesson. Father, thank you for this morning. Um, just thank you for the weekend that the men were able to have at the men's retreat. Um, just hearing the word from Doug, just being able to have our minds renewed in the truth of the gospel and just the, in, the, in the joy and the blessing of the church. Lord, I pray this morning as we just continue in the series um, on evangelism and discipleship, help us to have um, fruitful conversations and just a great discussion together. In your son's name, amen. So uh, we, this is the week number two of the Go Therefore class. The topic is going to be who is called to go. But at the end of the last class, I asked you guys to think of two questions, or I posed two questions and think of two answers. The first one, we're going to discuss one at the beginning and one at the end. And the first one was, is light a particle or a wave? Is, the, it, when, is, it, is light form, is it a particle or a wave? And the reason that I asked that question is because the discussion that Damien was having was our Calvinist call to evangelize. And this idea, if, if Calvinists, if we um, hold to and believe in as Calvinists that um, the Lord draws people and, and that it's his working in people's lives in order for them to come to Christ, there's this idea then that well, we don't have to evangelize because God does all the work. So what's the point of it? Well, and then um, Arminians don't believe that. There is a, a, a belief that, no, we have to call them, we have to draw them in, and so it's up to us. So we, there's some onus on us to actually um, maintain uh, that evangelistic work. And so I guess I'll just ask a question. How, does anyone know whether light is a particle or a wave? I immediately asked it, and some people immediately got it. I had just learned this recently. I believe the answer is yes. Yeah. It's both. Yeah. It is. It is both. And I guess there's this whole scientific study that happened in, uh, I haven't personally looked at it because somebody told me about it. Um, and I think the late 1800s 100s, where scientists disagreed and fought over this sucker. And then they finally just realized it's both. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I found fascinating about that idea is that when it comes to evangelism, do we approach it as a Calvinist or an Arminian? Do we approach it as if God does all the work or we do the work? On our end, on the physical end, I think it's kind of like light. It's both. There's times in scripture where clearly it states God does all the work. There's other times in scripture that it clearly states we need to go and tell people about the gospel. Um, so I just kind of in, 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 in carrying over from last week, I thought in my mind, that's just a help. It was a helpful um, reminder and understanding of kind of balancing the, uh, I don't want to say requirement, but just the weight of evangelism that we all carry. Uh, so where I want to go today in, in our discussion is I want to look at the two greats in the Bible. There's two kind of great statements in the Bible. There's the Great Commission, and then there's the Great Commandment. So I want to start with the Great Commission, um, Matthew 28, just kind of reminding all of us of what it says. And then we have some questions that I want to ask about. And again, the whole topic for this morning is who is called to go, what does it mean, um, what does evangelism, personal um, evangelism look like for us and uh and everything so here's the great commission again this is at the end of jesus's ministry this is believed that it's right before jesus ascended into heaven so like the last words which if if you're leaving and you know you're leaving you're going to count these these words um uh and make sure that what you kind of the, make sure that the last thing you say is going to be a, a weighty statement so here, here are jesus's last words to his disciples this is Matthew 11, or Matthew 28, and we're starting 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, and, and, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. So that is the great commission. This is where Jesus is saying, okay, all, all disciples are to go and make disciples. So this past weekend we had a, um, an elder retreat and I really enjoyed it because it was an unstructured time. We, um, we, we set out to the question that we were looking at is what our elders are called to do, what value markers are elders given in scripture. And we looked at a variety of texts and every single one of them that we looked at, I asked the question that, that I, I was told in seminary never to ask, but I'm about to ask it to you. And that is, what does this text mean to you? Kind of what do you see in this text? When, when you read this passage of scripture, where does your mind go? And it worked really well then, so I'm going to do that this morning. So when you read and when you hear, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When you hear that and when you read that, where does your mind go? Kind of what, how, does that, how does that hit your heart? Okay. What about that? Remove some of the fear. Because he says he's given us all power and he's with us to the end of the age. I don't feel completely alone. I feel like he's given me what I need to tell others about. Yeah. The whole, the whole uh, all power and authority in heaven and earth has been given to you is very weighty. <laughs> if that end piece wasn't there that would be really darn scary well read that statement again which part all power and authority has been given to you you actually wrongly in me me who's, oh, me? who's uh, me Jesus yeah but we take it, and not, not to jump yeah. on this, but we, I, yeah. we take this as if it's like all authority has been given to me. Yeah. We have authority in We have power and authority, but it's found in Christ. Because then what's the act? Like, what is, what's, what's our piece? What's the command, the declaration on us? Go and tell them about me, Christ. Larry, what do you think? I was going to say the same thing on that. In that, I think what he's done is he's just transferred the authority over to us by commanding us to do that. Authorities, <clears throat> I've got authority. Go. It's now yours. Mm. Yeah. But can we hold that much power and authority as people? Like, it would be kind of like, you know, I don't know if I can touch 10,000 volts. It would shock the heck out of me. It's a little too much for me. I understand that he said that, like, you go do this, but he's also said it's been given to me and I'm with you. Like, he's washing along with us. I don't think I, I couldn't carry that much. I guess I read it as that he has the power and authority, and all we have to do is tell. We're, we're the conduit. We communicate. We tell people that, that God has ultimate authority and the power to do the saving and to do the anything. Yeah. It's not on me to make that decision. It's not on me to save the person. I feel like 
I just go tell. Well, there's part, I guess, as I'm looking at, and just like where we were this weekend, there was a pond we fish at. Normally, it's like you gotta have permission unless it's your pond. It's like they were doubting. It's like I own this. This is mine. I've got, I got total authority. So, go. Like, don't worry about it. You got my permission. It's like I want you to. It's mine. Just don't worry about it. Go and go do these things. So it's like you have. You have my permission, and I would like you to do this, and it's mine, so don't fret about it. What, so, what are they going to do? Make disciples of all So what's a disciple? It's doing that, isn't it, learning? Okay. It's like an understudy? Mm-hmm. That was for you guys are all biblically studied in this room, so let's let's kind of let's add more layers to that. It is a learner, but when when we say I'm a disciple of Christ, yes, it's a learner, but but what is a disciple? Follower. Mm-hmm. Teacher of Christ. Mm-hmm. Believer in Christ. Well, like you're the mentee, right? The mentor and the mentee, mm-hmm. like the disciple is the mentee. Mm-hmm. Well, there's like models, like, uh, it's like train the trainer, or is that what it is? Where it's like you go get trained to do something well enough that you now have permission to train other people to do the thing that you've now learned how to do. What, what happens to us when we are a disciple of Christ? Or what happens to us to make us a disciple of Christ? Like he saves us? Okay. I guess I won't, I, I don't know how to ask, ask the leading question, so I'll state it. Sorry, I'm bad at that sometimes. Thinking of like, Baron, is your, is your saying like, okay, you can't hold 10,000 volts? You can't. You can't hold the power of God. You can't. But there's also like, a disciple of Christ is somebody who's indwelled with the Holy Spirit and holds within themselves a power that, and it, it, it's, I don't know if I understand it, because it's like Doug said this weekend in one of the sessions, like how in the world, like how does the Holy Spirit live in us? How does God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, live, dwell, abide in us? We are frail, weak creatures, can't, can't handle any of that power, you know, if he, if, if we stood up against it, it would fall immediately and yet as a disciple what I mean it is what what Christ is saying here is okay as as my disciples the power and authority that's been given to me is now given to you so that you can go and make more of these disciples and spread a power that won't ever be diminished which is, which in my mind compels to go oh, okay I, it's not me going it's not me and my own strength going as Phoebe said, it's me and God's strength going, and Christ's strength going. I think it relieves the burden of it all being on us. Uh, yeah. Like if, if we think as anything is like it's all just us, there's so much pressure we can't handle that kind of pressure. Yeah. But to know that there we are given the ability through the Lord, it just relieves that pressure. Yeah. 
So in the from the text, how are disciples made? Okay. In, in a sense, that's the. But, so what's what's the text calling us to do to make those disciples? So it says baptizing and teaching. Yeah. I think we've missed how baptizing makes disciples. I'm not saying baptism saves. Just I'm gonna put that footnote in there. I'm not saying that. But in this discussion, how baptizing is a part of making disciples. We get the teaching part down, right? Like we're we're great at that, and those, I'm not criticizing that. We we're great at the expo, explaining all that Christ has done. It's interesting. It starts with baptizing. Why is baptizing the first step? He doesn't say teach them and then baptize them. Why is baptizing the first step when he says go into all the world and make disciples? I mean, just imagine it, it's like that's a that's the call. Go make disciples for me, and then it could be, and you should. I mean, just imagine the things you could have put in there. And the first thing you said, baptize. I was trying to get us. Well, to does think. he say make disciples first? Mm-hmm. So that's the. So, but but baptizing is modifying. Right. The making of disciples. So making of disciples means this. Okay. Because he says, make disciples, baptize. Teach all that I have commanded you. Yeah. He doesn't say teach all that I have done. So I take that as him saying, teach, train people in righteousness who have accepted that I am the Christ. So by making a disciple, is that telling someone the gospel they believe, then they're baptized, then you train them in righteousness? Is that what the order is there? Or so from the, so in this from a um, from this verse, it's go therefore and make disciples, and you, and then you could ask, what does that mean? That means you baptize them and you teach them and all that I have observed. So the, the command is go and make disciples. The rest of the verse is modifying what does that command of make disciples mean. So make disciples. It, so a part of that definitely is baptizing them. Definitely is teaching them to observe all, all that I have commanded you. But the main thrust of this, the main com- command is go and make disciples. Discipling encompasses those things. Yeah. It's not a conjunction. So I always view the baptizing as the I mean, they even do it like in a lot of baptism ceremonies. I'm not sure if it's, it's like an outward marking of your faith, right? Like mm-hmm. you have a company or organization, you brand it, and you put the name of it everywhere. Mm-hmm. The outward branding of Christians was the baptizing of them because it was a public display of I'm linking myself to this group, mm-hmm. right? That's the way I've always viewed that piece of it, right? It's like you they agreed, became disciples, but then they said, okay, it's not just in secret now, it's in public. Mm-hmm. Like it had to be witnessed. Yeah. Like a wedding ceremony, you have witnesses, kind of the same sort of thing. Something like that, yeah. But let's assume that God doesn't do anything haphazardly and he has chosen the actions of baptism to communicate something different or, or to communicate something along with that. So yes, it is a public recognition but the action of baptism is a public declaration of going from death to life. The same thing that Jesus just did. He went into the grave. He, he, he died for sins, went into the grave, and, and then became alive. And in baptism, 
you you go from death to life. It's a picture of going from death to life. So it's baptizing. So going, I am dying to self. I'm dying to my old self. I'm dying to the sinner that I was, and I'm being raised anew in the likeness of Christ. And now I'm being taught all of the things that Christ has told me to observe. So I, I think when he says baptizing them, it, the first the first thing is let them know how their life is different. Let them know how they have a power that is outside of this world that no other person has. Let them know that they don't have to fear sin because they've died to sin because Christ died to sin and they've been raised anew. Let them know that it's not their old man that is being looked at. It's their new man that's being looked at. And then it's appropriately going, okay, teach them all. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So you're saying that they call out baptism specifically because of the symbolism of baptism encompasses the dying to self and being raised to God. Is that what you just said? Yes. And only because that's what he does call out. So some of this is like, he could have said something else and it would have been better, but he didn't. And that's... So like doing communion with them? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's a teaching element. So there's the baptism element. So so there's a teaching element which leads us to the second great commandment, which is uh, which is the great commandment. So turn to Matthew 22, because the question can be, okay, what what does it mean to teach them all that I have all that I have observed? I mean, that is a teach them all that I I have observed and I've commanded to you. So. That's that's huge. I mean, you could you could then say a a good disciple has to know everything. Well, we're all sunk. A good disciple should definitely know things. They should definitely strive for knowledge of, of what's of of God, of the gospel, of Christian life, of what's going on. And but it's it's been pointed to that the way to sum that up has been the has been the great um, commandment, which is found in Matthew twenty two. Uh, the back story to this is the Pharisees heard that Jesus was standing around and um, and you know really just kind of stumping the Sadducees, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. It says this in twenty four. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So it can, it, in, with evangelism, there can be this thought of what, what do I need to teach people? What, what am I aiming at? What's the communication that I'm giving? And I think it's, it, it is summed up in this. Now there's a lot here, and you can dig down into this in, in deep ways, and, and we should, but it is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Just think about how counterintuitive that is from the way the world operates. Because we love everything else but God. We're, we're idol makers, and our hearts are idol makers, or idol factories. That's, that's how that was worded. And just think about how we, we treat other people outside of God. We, we treat them not as we want to be treated, but treat them with a selfish intent. And here, this great commandment just sums up, okay, if you want to be the creature that God intended you to be, love God. And love your neighbor. So that is kind of the introduction preliminary um, thing to this lesson, which leads us to really the discussion that I want to have, and that is um, what practically are we called to do? 
and who practically is called to go and what is the mission that all of us as disciples have been called have been called to i know it's very we say all of us are called to be disciple makers we say all of us are called to be missionaries we say all of us are called to proclaim christ but it can be hard to figure out how to actually do that so what we've just did is kind of lay down the mission this is what all christians are called to do i want to actually talk about practically speaking the method in which we do that in 2022 as americans living in middle tennessee who attend community bible church who live in our who live our lives and our jobs how do we carry that mission that understanding that we are going to make disciples we're proclaiming uh, to love god and, and love neighbors how do we actually go out into the world and do that so what uh, some of this is a we're going to talk about what has been done and some of the struggles that that um that can cause uh but I, I'm looking really for this to be a very practical discussion. How in your mind do we, again, as Americans living in 2022, spread the great news around the world? And it could be how do you do that? It could be how do, you, how, how do we see the church do that? We can see how other people do that. Social media. Okay. Social media, okay. But good, good, bad, or is it good or bad? Like, are you saying on, on, on the negative side or on the positive side? I think it can be positive, for sure. I mean, I think it can be both. So. Yep. How old? How do we realistically, uh, I think a lot of us, maybe we give to other people who go. That's, you know, traditional missionaries who train with any of a number of organizations um, mm -hmm. and they they go to other countries they go to the jungle or they go to the wherever anywhere really and you know try to start a church there or they join you know and then a way that those of us who maybe can't go we can give financial to support that so I think that's one way that we you know point for some Christians that mm -hmm. whether that's right or wrong or really. Yeah, no, it's definitely one of the ways that's used. Part of us, you know, just knowing people and having conversations with them, or you know, well enough you could talk about things like that. And then at the other side, a lot of the people that we know are friends with, we work with. And then there's a whole cancel thing where you said something that made me feel bad. You said there is a God, and you're a bad person I'm going to tell HR like you know just you get maligned in some way so it's it can be a little dicey to have the conversations to start with mm -hmm. I'm in that phase of life where I have a junior hire which means I have a lot of questions being asked of me all the time and and Noelle is now asking those questions that um She's kind of thinking about it for the first time, so I've just assumed the answer for a long time, and um, I think it's it, it's, you know, uh, one of the questions that she's asked recently, the real question is, what is missions? And I, it there's it's such a basic question, but something that like I can just assume the answer to that when she asked, I was like, uh, well, that's there's a lot of. Um, depths to that question so I'll, I'll ask you guys we'll answer the 
11-year-old's question again. What What is missions? It's definitely all, all the things that have been said. But just to add a, a layer to this question, what is missions? Well, the church went years ago to Bonaire, took a group, okay. built a, you know, we partnered with the church there, built a, a building, I don't know, I didn't go, but I think that's built a mm-hmm. building to help, help okay. with their mission there. Mm-hmm. They, needed, they needed help to reach reach people in that area. So, I mean, short-term missions trips. Okay. I think it's representing Christ where the people group that you're a part of. It doesn't have That's to be, good. doesn't always have to be someone you don't know. That's good. More often it's the people letting you know that, like I think of my circle, it's, you know, these middle-aged women who don't work like me, or some of them do, but, and they have struggles with Kids, well, I don't get paid for anything I do. <laughs> um, you know, they they struggle like aging parents. Yeah. Parents in. Uh, I'm not texting. I'm writing that down. I have, I have some friends who's you know moms in hospice. So, well, how can I share Christ that affects their lives where they are? Yeah, I think that sometimes we start to think of missions as just this broader global thing and neglect localism and forget like we're, Christians are losing their children like at a huge rate like obviously we're not maybe um, thinking of the mission field of our homes well enough like so that's I mean that's my mission field obviously that's what I, that's the main thing that I do with my time mm-hmm. have a job I don't see that many people other than my kids Providing a need, yeah, through um, providing providing a need, and through that showing Christ's love. Though. Mm-hmm. In general, I was gonna say it's kind of like the marketing of the message is missions, whether that's showing it through like solving someone's basic needs, having a conversation with someone, interacting with them, providing resources. It's all. All you're trying to do is put the message out there in yeah. multiple different forms and you're marketing it, but you're not the salesman, right? God's the one who closes the deal, you're just the marketer. Yeah. Danny would know more about that. <laughs> oh, so, sorry, Mike, got something else. Yeah. I, I've, I've asked it. Go ahead. You know, discipleship mission's kind of a similar thing, you know. The purpose of missions is to make disciples. You know, you kind of have to ask yourself. You know, and I, I don't know if you guys a few years ago there was this thing that the church had it was called Redneck Seminary. I don't think it was actually named that. It was marketed as a Redneck Seminary, <laughs> where Doug taught. Doug Searle. Another Redneck about that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I like I heard the horror stories in the homework. I, I like, you know, discipleship. You know, and in, in, in combination, like with what Byron used to to say that the church is the, the uh, evangelistic uh, program for the world. I like that because it makes a lot of sense. In other words, the, so the church, the, the bride of Christ, is the organism that spreads the gospel. You know, I think discipleship happens a lot in church, like things like this. I think the pulpit is where a lot of discipleship happens. I'd say... 
I don't know to give a percent, but a high percentage of discipleship happens, you know, at the pulpit, which is incredible responsibility, which I'm glad you have and not me. But and so trying to and Doug used to talk about this a lot is trying to figure out how to get ways to get the church involved in people that we're involved in, and like. Um, for example, uh, you know, we teach at Vanderbilt. Um, there is a family that has three kids that have volunteered their time to be ultrasound models. One of my colleagues teaches ultrasound. And so this family takes their time, takes the kids out of school, and then lets the kids do this. And they've done this a number of times to the, fact, to the point where this lady that I work with, who is Jewish in background, you know, knows these, knows this family really well mm -hmm. and knows the kids really well. And even my residents know, or the, the fellows that I work with every day know these people well. So I like trying to drag my church family into my work family is kind of what I like to see. And that's, that's created opportunity, honestly, to have gospel conversation even with the, the, the main lady who does the teaching who's Jewish. And um, I think developing relationships like Ron was talking about with other people, but then somehow dragging our, our church family into this to see how our church family can minister in, in ways that we don't think. Mm -hmm. I think that's how, I, I don't know how God works. He just, I, he just continues to, I continue to misunderstand how he does things. So I think we just have to kind of like take a chance and just do things that we think we might work. Like this was an opportunity to have this family come up and I think every, somehow everybody, you know, benefits. We don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to work. Mm -hmm. But to using, just, just keeping in mind the, the, the purpose of the church in evangelism, I think is kind of the key in trying to figure out how do I get the church, my, my church family involved with my work family. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't know what I'm doing, but I like, I like it when, pretty good at it. like when, um, like when we go to Nicaragua, it's nice to have our church family kind of drag them down there. And uh, so they can kind of see what I want the students to be able to see is this is a church event, a church helping another church. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of, of that whole thing. And so I look at church, and that's why we bring people to church to be discipled and, and bring friends to church. And so that's how I kind of look at big program is the church is the evangelistic uh, program. Yeah. And then trying to decide how to drag people, drag, drag's a strong term, I'm not sure what other word to use, but to how to leverage, uh, leverage is a good word, how to leverage our positions wherever we do to get our, get church, get our church families associated with our, I like work families, I, and let them intermingle and see what happens, let God do the work. I I one hundred percent agree. Um, where and I'm glad that you guys went there, and I, I trusted that that you would. It's that missions happens in the, in our ordinary lives by by bringing the by declaring the the grace of God to the people that are involved in our ordinary lives. But I know for me, I can so even as, as a pastor, I can so think missions happens when it's when when there's a program or an event or a trip. Or an extra special, um, you know, situation 
that then I can bring God into it and then mission happens. But I think, I think it's how, how we see <coughs> the grace of Christ being spread to the world is not necessarily through a program. I think the Lord has used those, like the Billy Graham Crusade, where you know clearly something was going on there. Whether and and the faithfulness of that, God can God can decide. But it is through those. How'd you put it? Through representing Christ through, through our through our ordinary lives. And I and I and I I wanted to bring that up because I know I struggle with thinking in this like every day in my ordinary life. As a disciple of Christ, I am called to proclaim his grace to those around me every day. Like the great commandment and the great commission are on my life every single day. And and I know at some point I can feel that as a burden because I'm like, oh man, I have to do that as well as feed the kids and do the carpool and go to the office and blah, 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 go to vacation. But every single day, as, as a disciple of Christ, we are called to represent Christ in our, in our ordinary lives. I think it's interesting because nobody else has the life I have. So who's, gonna, who's going to minister to those women into this court for me? Yeah. That I see, you know, so like, what a great privilege I have to be that one person yeah. that can represent Christ to those people. That kind of makes it kind of exciting to do that <clears throat> instead of a burden. Yeah. And, and I think when, when, we, when we proclaim Christ, when we have those evangelistic moments, in, in my mind, we can build this up to be like, your life is going to be so transformed. And it is. It is. But this like, let me tell you about this thing that's going to fundamentally change who you are. And, and it will. But we're all ordinary people with a variety of jobs. So every person that we come in contact with, especially our kids, I totally agree that like the primary mission field is parents in the homes and especially moms in that way who get to disciple their, these children every single day in, in, in the word of the Lord and, and demonstrate what a, what a faithful life looks like. But we, we get an opportunity to demonstrate to every other person that we interact with, here's how Jesus has, has impacted and affected my life. Here's how I am a new creation because of what he has done in my life. Here's how I can say I have all power and authority that has been given to me through Christ because Christ is in me because he's in because he's indwelling my spirit. Here's how I can say that and be a school psych and be an engineer and be a doctor and be a lighting tech and be a mom and be a musician and be a all the stuff. But I know I struggle even as a pastor to wake up and go, today I get to proclaim Christ to somebody around me. So I, I, the question that I asked last week, who told you about Christ? And what was the conversation, what was the moment that the Lord used to, I want to say for you to open your eyes, ultimately he opened his eyes, so there's all the footnotes. What's the, what, what was the moment that, that you, you came to understand that, that you needed Christ? So just briefly, I'd love to go around the room and hear kind of who that person was or what that what that event was. We're gonna have a little mini poll. I think it's interesting. I've been thinking about this because when I came to salvation, it wasn't that no one was talking to me. Okay. Right? Because 
and and I think this is interesting. Just growing up in the church, like this can happen, where you know I grew up in the church, and then you know I was a teenager, just sitting there in small group, and we were just watching the Left Behind movie when that had come out, and you know completely out of context of the movie, it just all clicked in my head, and it was like, oh, I do need God. Like this is what they've been telling me, right? Yeah. But what they had, so I'll drill down. What yeah, they had. Yeah, because I grew up in the church. Yeah. yeah so yeah. who were so so the day. That they included the pastor, but I'm sure everyone else. Yeah. Okay. So one. Very similar. We grew up in the church, and my parents were always talking to us about that. And then the pastor at the church we were going to was always talking about that, and I think he was the first one who articulated it in a way that I could understand. Um, but the moment that I think of when I came to salvation, nobody was talking to me except spirit it was just like everything that I had been hearing everything that I had been fed all of a sudden was lining up in a way that I could see uh, for what it was yeah, it must have been family it must have been our parents I don't have a moment I don't remember not believing I, I can recount many conversations that helped build that understanding but there was never one moment I'm a similar I grew up in the church and had lots of conversations, but I do have a moment that what wasn't, I mean, it was God. Um, I was like 12 or 13, I don't remember which summer, at church camp, and um, I had to go do KP duty in the cafeteria that morning, but I was a little bit early, so I stopped in the outdoor chapel, and I just kind of opened my Bible, and it opened to Romans 8.31, and it just like hit me. Like, I remember that moment so clearly. I was like, oh, if he's for me, no one can be against me. Wow. And then I went and did set up for breakfast. <laughs> and then ordinary life continues. That's right. <laughs> What's interesting, a lot of these stories is that there wasn't a specific person. The people that spoke into our lives that led us to that point probably don't know they did that. But what if there weren't those people? What if our parents hadn't mm-hmm. talked to us about it? What if you know, we weren't, we didn't hear the gospel in Sunday school at church. And it's, it kind of tells me, you know, especially as a mom who, yeah, I totally get the years of, well, I can't be out in this, I have kids to take care of, I can't, or I can't teach in Sunday school because I have to do with my own kids. I, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. Well, you never know mm-hmm. the conversations that you have with your kids, with your friends, wherever. You don't know what God's going to use to come mm-hmm. to that point in one person's life where the spirit uses things that people have said over the years so mm-hmm. yeah i think in the same way that the church is god's evangelistic plan for the world the smaller sphere of god is the family mm-hmm. yeah. oh yeah absolutely just for the sake of time uh, what michelle what you identified there was was exactly where i was going the so often the reason i don't evangelize is because i think it's not going to work or they don't, they don't seem primed and ready. Or I walk away from a moment of just sharing a little bit. And I go, that that didn't mean anything. But the way that the Lord, clearly the Lord has those moments when it's like the um, Ethiopian eunuch on the way to, you know, and Philip comes and it's like the aha moment. And, you know, and didn't, but didn't know anything prior to it and then all of a sudden sees it, believes it, and understands it all in one moment. 
the way that the Lord works is in small conversations over time revealing to a person their need and at some point in his in his determining factor in his good pleasure he goes you can now see and I only bring that up because as as believers who are called to evangelize we can discredit why we should have the conversations we can even discredit why we're doing the actions because we don't see the result more often people come to Christ and go I don't, I don't know what it was it wasn't the one thing it was everything it wasn't the one conversation it was that every Christian that I came in contact with told me about the fact that I needed Jesus and then finally Jesus used all of them and in some sense none of them to open my eyes so here's something that we've we've been talking about as staff and elders we make it a priority that every Sunday morning in our main service that we celebrate the finished work of Christ. And I know you guys know that because we remind you at nauseum and that is everything that we do. We always celebrate the finished work of Christ. So once a week, you're going to get that reminder, refresher, the, 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 the reorientation back towards the amazing grace of God. And we do that because we recognize that six days a week, we live in a world that is trying to evangelize us away from God. We live in a world that is pushing us towards everything else except Christ. You know, it, it, the mall, which the malls have kind of declined, so this is a, this is a, a dated um, illustration, but the mall is a perfect example of the human temple. Because they worship, every, the mall is just this idol factory. You walk around and they're, and, and they're worshiping good looks and they're worshiping money and they're worshiping commerce. All this stuff is all of this. That's what the world worships. And, and we can be so sucked into that. And so once a week, we need to come back and be reminded you're not judged by the works of your own hands. You're judged by Christ's life. And I, I pray, I trust, that Community Bible Church is known for that reality that every Sunday morning we are going to celebrate the finished work of Christ. But I think the church is, our church is also called to be known for something else. And we have a prayer that our church is known for something else. That every congregant member that people come in contact with, that we are known outside of these walls as a church that is constantly celebrating and pointing people towards the finished work of Christ. And one of the things that we've been talking about is, and, and it's actually an act of pursuit in the Sunday school classes, one of the, 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 the reason we're having the Sunday school classes because we have this desire, is that we, we make it a point that when we walk out of these doors, we're heading into the mission field. And we could be the, stereotype, the stereotypical Baptist and be like, now you're entering the mission field, put banners up, all this stuff, maybe that's appropriate, I don't, I don't know. But having actually an active pursuit of the people that we come in contact with in our ordinary lives, I'm going to tell them about the best thing that ever happened to me. Because Christ is the best thing that happened to all of us. Transformed our lives. We went from death to life. We went from living to self or living to God. Hopeless, hopeful. Dead, alive. I mean, all that stuff. And we, we celebrate that constantly. Now... As believers, the Great Commission, we are called on a daily basis 
in our ordinary lives, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, in whatever capacity the Lord brings us in to make much of Him. And so this, I, I don't want this class to be a, a, a guilt-laden moment, but I do want it to be a moment where you stop and we all stop and go, okay, how is the Lord using me in my unique circumstances and situations to make much of him and bring about his glory. There are some, um, there's a lot of Christian stats out there. There's a lot of stuff that's been talked about. And I'll end it well. It's 10 o'clock. Um, does this always happen? The exit? I guess the exodus is good. I should, there's, last thing, there's, um, there's been a lot of Christian organizations that have done these polls. Like the Barner Group is, is one of them. And books have been written about evangelism. And the, the vast majority of responses to polls about evangelism says this. A person listens most not to the pastor, but to the common person in, in their life that believes in Christ. I don't make disciples. Ultimately, Christ makes them. I don't make disciples. You guys make disciples. Because the same thing, I walk in on a pastor and he puts on the buttons up and hook, stands up straight. But you guys get the opportunity to live ordinary lives with the people that, that you interact with and they go, you're different. And so the other way to say that, the best sermon that, that's, that's going to be preached every week is not the one from the pulpit, but it's the one from your life. That's a weight that Jesus clearly gave to every, every single one of his disciples. It's a weight, it's an opportunity, and it's a privilege. So I'm gonna close it there. I'm just gonna let that sit on your heart and, and you do with that as you, as you may. But again, I, I'll end with our prayer is that our church is not only known for making much of Christ in our walls, but even more so making much of Christ outside of our walls in the ordinary lives of our people. I'll pray. Lord, thank you um, for saving us. Why, we don't know. But we are so thankful that you did not leave us in our weakness, in our, um, in our death. You did not leave us as your enemy, but you miraculously saved us for no reason but your glory. Lord, we, I pray for our church, every single one of our congregant members, my, myself included, you would use us to make much of you in our personal world. That you would use us as a body to make much of you in our surrounding community, and you'd use much, and you'd use us um, even to make much of you all, all over the world. Lord, give us this passion that when we walk out of the doors every Sunday morning. And when we wake up every morning, we would do so with an eye towards evangelism, understanding that we get to proclaim the best thing to the world, and that is grace through you. Lord, just be with us as we fellowship and as we worship this morning. In your son's name, amen.